Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here as well as being online and uh, joining us as we continue and get back into the Mark series. Uh, I heard a pastor share an illustration that always spoke to me. I believe I've shared it here before of a, a young doctor, a medic, who was uh, worked for the military, who was called to a village that a disease was breaking out and was taking the lives of those in the village, and uh, he was sent in to see if he could come up with some sort of way to bring healing to what this spreading pandemic was doing. And and in doing so, um, the illustration speaks of this man gaining some of the symptoms of the very disease he went to eradicate. And before long, he went through a series of testing and it was decided that he too had attracted it and he did not have long to live. He was given his discharge papers. He was allowed to go back to see his family. And have you ever seen, have you ever seen some of those military family reunions? Aren't they special? Like, like the kids come running, the wife comes running, there's tears, people are jumping on each other. I mean, I've never necessarily experienced one of those, but it, it brings your joy to your heart to watch a family reunited like that. And it was similar for this situation. And, and the young doctor, knowing he had attracted the disease, not having told his family yet, saw them running to him, jumping in his arms, screaming, dad's home, dad's here. But what they don't know is he only has another week or so to live. And everything he would do with his kids, with his family, and with his wife would be the very last time he would do it. And and if you can look into his eyes, I believe it was in a devotional by John Piper. He said, if you can look into that man's eyes and see the tears and know that he knows his life is about to come to an end, even amidst all the celebration and smiles, you get a glimpse into the emotion of Jesus's final ride into Jerusalem. This is where we're at in our text in the Gospel of Mark. There's an emotional ride. There is a ride, make no mistake, where Jesus is headed towards his death. And you're going to see celebrating people in this story. But make no mistake, the one on the back of the cult understands this is choosing to allow death so that he might save us all. You know, Jesus' ministry went from thousands and thousands and thousands on the hillsides to almost down to 12 by the end, and even one of them betrayed him right to his face. From an earthly standpoint, you could call Jesus' life on earth maybe a, a miserable failure if you were pragmatically speaking. But Jesus did so much more in his death than he ever did in his earthly life for you and for me. For dying on the cross and rising again, he defeated the sting of death and allows those who mourn and grieve to know that if their loved one is a child of God, they'll see him again. 
This is the march Jesus is doing. Why? Because he's good. And because he's the only one who can defeat death. And someone's got to do it. So the rest of us have the promise of that forever. It's with that power and emotion that I want to call this message the final ride or the last ride. It's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verse 1 through 11. I want to have a word of prayer, and we're going to begin reading, what do you guess? Immediately. Heavenly Father, use your word to encourage our hearts. Use your word to inspire our souls. Lord, we ask um, that you would remove the room of distraction, Lord, so that we can focus on what you have for us. Lord, we ask that you would humble our hearts so we can receive the message that you have for us. And Lord, I ask for just a special hand of grace and blessing for those who have taken the time to prioritize sitting beneath the very words of God this Sunday morning. And may we all leave differently and have a different week because we were in your word today. We pray these things knowing you're faithful. In Jesus' name, and all Renew Bible said, amen. Now here's where we're at. Let's pull up the big board. And um, I, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna miss my boxes a little bit. I liked my boxes, but we're, but we're back in Mark here. So, so we walk through his public ministry. It was a new king, a new kingdom, a new order. We were learning all these things about Jesus and ministering to the multitudes, the massive crowds. And then Mark takes a turn. Note, both times there's a transition. We have a story of a blind man. And it's as if Mark is setting this up so we understand Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to bring sight to those who were blind, physically on those two encounters, but spiritually speaking. And then in the green section here, we focused on the disciples. Jesus began to predict his death. He told them they need to take up their cross. There will be suffering. There will be difficulty. He said the least of these, the last is actually the greatest of all. And he came to serve, not be served. He taught his disciples servant leadership, and now he's going to act it out. He's going to put into action everything he said, because now it's time to turn his head to Jerusalem and go and give his life for many. The last six chapters of Mark focus on basically one week of his life. And all the different things that would happen on that week. And what we plan to do now is walk through the end of the Gospel of Mark right up till Easter Sunday. Which is early this year. It's like March. We're going to walk right up to it. We're going to leverage it in our week of prayer at times and different things. And just look at, these final, look at this final week of Jesus. And see how he was riding into Jerusalem to make a decision for you. And for me. So here's the text. Scripture says this Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus did something. He sent two of his disciples and he said to them, I want you to go into the village in front of you. And, and immediately, as you enter the village, you will find a colt tied on which no one's ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. Oh, and if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? 
say, the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. Now, now I don't know about you, but I, I do better learning when I have a visual on this. And so let's just pull up a map, okay? Let's pull up a map and get a little bit of an idea of uh, where we're at. We're traveling on this road. We're entering into Bethpage. You see Bethany here, okay? The Garden of Gethsemane, we're gonna pass by that. There is the... the the entire temple court of Herod. We got Antonio Fortress. Jesus will be there soon in front of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You can see down here the lower steps of the city. There's the house of Caiaphas down there. The upper room will be there for dinner not long from now. There's the place towards Hebron, the Valley of Hinnom. We talked about all of those things. There's Golgotha, the tombs, the sheep market, the pool of Bethesda. So let's get an idea. He's right here. I got it marked. And he's entering this way and he tells his disciples, and what you go ahead head him to Beth Page, and I want you to find a colt as soon as you go in there, and, and, and I want you to get it, and I want you to untie it and bring it back to me. How does he know there's a colt there? He hasn't been to Jerusalem. He, he's been a bunch of different places. He's, he's been all over his map. How, how, does he, how does he know he's cool? How, how does he know if people are gonna ask about it? I mean, maybe it's a quiet thing. Do you think maybe he checked his ring video camera and saw the cult was there? How does he know this? What's going on here? Has Jesus ever asked you to go through something or do something and you're like, why? The disciples are close to Jesus. They've seen him do some different things, and so they act. Scripture says, and they went away, and they found a colt tied at the door outside of the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. They're like, um, ah. And they told them what Jesus had said. Oh, and then they let them go. What, what did he tell them to say? Well, you remember the phrase. If anyone asks you, I want you to say, the Lord has need of it. Some of you might think, is this some sort of magic phrase? If I went down to the local car dealership, walked up to one of the cars, started up, if anybody said, hey, where are you going? The Lord has need of it. That's not what's going on here. If you walk into your sister's bedroom and she has a couple toys kids that you want, you don't go, the Lord has need of it. You're not the Lord, okay? So we're not talking about theft here. Jesus has a purpose and the people seem to be primed for that purpose. When Jesus says the Lord has need of it, he's saying, when I want something that you have, I will use it for great purposes, but you're gonna have to trust me. Why would Jesus want a cult? Why, why? There's sometimes in life when Jesus asks something from you that makes you go, why? He's not asking you to understand all the time. For his ways are not our ways. 
Don't we like to understand everything? Don't we like to make sense out of things? Isn't it often when we hear reports on the TV, they're desperate to find out the why. Let's find out why and then we can get our heads around it and make sense of it. Jesus in these moments isn't looking for you to get it. He's looking for you to obey. Go get the coat. Why? Untie it, okay? And bring it to me. And if anybody asks you, you tell them I have need of it. And so they do it. And they brought the colt to Jesus. And, and, and then they threw their cloaks on it. And, and he sat on it. What's he doing? What, he's, he's never done anything like this. No one, scripture says, has sat on this colt. And now Jesus gets up on the colt, okay? And, and, and many spread their coats on the road. Okay, so as they're going down the road, can you picture it? You saw the picture. As they're heading towards the city, many now are spreading their cloaks on the road. And others are spreading leafy branches that they had cut down from the fields. And, and, and those who went before him and those who followed were, were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wait a minute, what? And, and and he says this, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus is just taking it in. How many of you have noticed in the gospel of Mark, whenever Jesus does something, he turns to them and says, don't tell anybody. Don't make a deal of this. Just go back home. Jesus is on a cult. People are going, Hosanna, Hosanna, nice. And he's taking it in. Simon the Zealot's got to be thinking, are we going to do something? I mean, this is a different activity. Jesus is behaving in a different way. But I want you to also know something about context in regard to understanding the culture of the time period. This is mimicking what many would have understood as a Roman triumph. Have you ever heard what they were like? Roman triumphs were reserved only for victors. And not those who just resisted in combat, but those who gained territory and who won and were victors. Some believed would have had to take or capture over 5,000 to get that. There's different details on who would get a triumph but it was given to a military leader that the Senate would put together and they would start outside the city. And what would happen is they would go ahead of these Roman triumphs and they would begin to spread fragrances in the air. They would lay things on the ground. So there was this smell of the victor in the room. The priests would have incense, all these different things, great, wonderful smells. And then the music would begin up. Imagine, if you would, a Roman parade. Music's playing, all these things. And unlike our time period where there were our floats, there weren't like Snoopy floats and things like that, okay? They actually had parade in front of everyone the captives see people in chains coming into the cities and the soldiers and centurions with them and they're marching in and then the pomp and circumstance and people are feeling like, look at the victor, look at the leader. And then finally he would come and he'd often be mounted on a white horse signifying victory and he'd be dressed in 
purple, signifying royalty and honor. And with him was his family members who got to ride in the triumphal procession and experience the fragrance and the wonder and the awesomeness of this incredible, awesome triumph. And you can see the people are responding as if Jesus is coming in a conquering hero, but he's on a colt. It's the commoners, if you will, laying over their branches, yelling out Hosanna, which often palm branches were called Hosannas, and they were screaming, save now. It's like fans on Broad Street after a championship in Philadelphia. I mean, they're screaming, they're excited, and just like fans, they are pumped for you when you're winning. You love your eagles when they're winning. That's what fans do. We love when they're doing what we want them to do. And right now, Jesus is doing what they want them to do. Just like the disciples heard the phrase, the Lord has need of it, they were asked to obey even when you can't make sense of what Jesus is doing. Now, the crowds think, now's the moment. And isn't it so often in our life, we find out if our following of Jesus is more of a fan when he doesn't do what we want him to do. And then it comes down to whether we're going to follow. Because his plan is not to overthrow the Roman government. And that's why they're cheering. His plan is to give his life for many. And to sacrifice by offering it on a cross. And he knows these very people who are going, Hosanna, say it now, are going to go crucify him, crucify him, crucify him in just a few short days. And if you can look into his eyes and you can see the tears, even amid the smile, you get a sense of this moment. Oh, the word of Lazarus had been spreading. Jesus is getting known. He's accepting praise. He's doing what we want. He's walking in as a winner. And the Pharisees saw it. Do you remember how they reacted? We find out in the Gospel of Luke, actually, we got to go to a harmony of this account. It's Luke chapter 19, verse 39. It says this And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. This is a joke. It, it, it looks as if this is some sort of pseudo-Roman triumph, okay? Knock it off. In fact, they have the gall to shout it out into the crowd. And Jesus turns to them and says, I tell you, if these, and we assume all the people shouting were silent, the very stones would start to cry out. If you all were quiet, this moment is so important in the history of the world that creation gets it 
creation will start screaming. In, in, in his most wonderful way, Jesus, being accused of looking stupid and dumb, if you will, says, you want to know who's actually dumber than rocks? You, who think I'm not in complete control of this, I don't have a very specific plan. I'm arriving on a very specific date because I never mess up timing. I never don't do things without intentionality. And whatever I allow or use or borrow, I will use for all my glory and nothing can stop me from doing that. And if you don't cry out, the stones will join in. In fact, they may rock and shake when I give up my life just a couple days because creation gets it and even the stones would cry out. Scripture says he entered in Jerusalem and he went to the temple. The gospel of Luke adds some extra information that when he drew near the city, do you know what he did? As he drew near the city, Luke says that he wept over it. Start crying. <laughs> I mean, if you're a disciple, you've got to be so confused at this point. Go, go, get the, go get the colt. Why? The Lord has need of it, okay? And, and he's, okay, he's getting, on a, he's getting on a donkey. Okay, that's kind of odd. People get on animals to ride into cities because they're going in as a conquering. He's going in as a conquering. Look at the reaction of the people. Oh, this is good. Come on, we're finally accepted. Here we go. We're walking all the way in. We get all the way in. And the, and the Pharisees, hey, hey, shut them up. And Jesus goes, even the rocks will cry out. Oh, man, you got to, I mean, James and John must have been like, let's go. He comes all the way in and he stops. Just starts crying. What does he see? Is it the rejection that's coming? Is it what it represents in front of him? Is it the week ahead? I mean, think about what was ahead of him. Scripture says he went in and then he ended up going back out to Beth Page. But let's look at this week. Monday, he heads in, triumphal entry. Tuesday, we see him before the religious leaders. Wednesday's quiet. Thursday, he's in the upper room with the disciples, Lord's Supper. Friday, he's in Golgotha and then out to the tombs on Sunday where he will rise again from the dead. And Jesus on his way in with this triumph of an entry is crying on a colt that he said he needed. But don't miss this. There was far much more going on than what meets the eye. We look at the phrase, the Lord has need of it. Do you understand that Jesus wasn't just riding a colt? Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. Scripture says in Zechariah 9.9, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a 
donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. (laughs) Great leaders arrive on white horses, but he's coming in humility, fulfilling prophecy. In other words, in all your wise, in all those moments where you're going, why Jesus? You need to hear this. Jesus says to you, I have a plan. I am in complete control. Trust me. But I need to understand. But I'm asking you to obey. Trust me. I came in on a donkey intentionally. And anything I ever ask for that you think you own or belongs to you, I will use it for great purposes if I call for it. Second, Hosanna, save now to all of those who may be a fan of Jesus when all of life's circumstances are going their way or an enemy of Jesus the second a circumstance doesn't go their way. You'll have to make a choice from whether you'll be a Hosanna believer or a crucify him non-believer during this life. Because there's something everyone believes in in this room. You get one go. And you don't know how long your go is. Jesus' timing is always perfect and he was proving it on that donkey. Did you know that in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, 25, there's a prophecy about a Jewish calendar that would start after Babylonian activity or captivity had relinquished. Scripture says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, seven weeks representing seven years or 49 years, and three score and two weeks, 434 years. Add those together, that's 483 years. The calendar was 490 that Daniel gave out. So it seems very possibly If a study of the Jewish calendar would occur from scholars much more in depth than ever I would claim to be, it seems as if Jesus was arriving on the very time he was prophesied to come. But further study would let you know that the time he was coming into Jerusalem was the time of Passover, when they would be sacrificing the lambs for their sin, spotless lambs. And so Jesus is coming in predictably according to prophecy, right on time as the Lamb of God on the back of a cult as predicted in prophecy. It's as if Jesus is saying on the donkey, I have a plan for all your wise. I am in complete control. Trust me, if I ask for something, I'm going to use it. Hosanna, save now. I have a purpose. I have perfect timing. Trust me on my timing. And to those who have moved towards bitterness, those who have used criticism as a way to push off Jesus, he says, 
I'm unstoppable. My plans can't be thwarted. Follow me in my procession. I am the victor, even when it looks like I'm nothing more than a loser. Because my ways are above your ways. And you may never make sense of them. But I always have a plan. My timing is always best. And I will accomplish what I set out to accomplish. Are you for me or against me? Because if you're for me, you will see the mighty hand of God in every circumstance of your life. For God is working together things for the good for the child of God. And this ride is just another example of how people might view Jesus and not think that on the outside. But the more you study and the more you understand, the rocks did cry out. In fact, Matthew tells us when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred. If you understand the original language, that sail or a quaking was occurring and, and, and saying, who is this? I mean, who is this guy? There's a stirring. Like, what is the response? And just a few verses later, after he died on the cross, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom and the earth shook. And what happened? The rocks split. Creation reacted to the death of Jesus Christ. Even the stones cried out. Would it be awesome to be in the procession of such a winner? Jesus promises that to all of you, his children. In fact, it's in a beautiful verse of 2 Corinthians 2.14, and I want you to take the context of everything we just witnessed and think through how it applies to you. And when you read this verse, I think you might read it for different than you have ever read it before. Listen. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. We are in his procession, dressed in purple, if you will, in royalty and riding behind our Savior. We're also his captives and we're bond servants to him. And he uses us to spread good fragrance to the world. And how do we do that? Huh? When he asks us to go through something that we're going, why? And we obey anyway. When his timing arrives and we go, now? Like, like now? What? what? How? Now? And we go, well, his timing's always best. For those times in our life when we say, what? This, really? He says, I'm unstoppable. You can trust this. I follow through on what I say. What a beautiful reminder on this last ride that I'm a child of God. I'm captivated, if you will, by him. And I ride in victory and that's why death doesn't have quite the same sting to the child of God. Because they know, even if the Lord has need of something that we desperately love, that when God takes something, he says, I'll bring it back 
And he can promise that even in the loss of a loved one. That one day you'll see him again if they know Jesus as their savior. How can he say that? Because I ride in triumph. I have already won the war over death. And so for those moments in life, when we seek to hold on to things and we feel like he got taken from us, is it possible the Lord has need of it and wants to use it in bigger ways than we could ever imagine? And we might say, why? We might say, now? What? Trust me is always the answer. My kids were little. They'd set up things upstairs and put on scary music and hide in corners and go, Dad, come up here. And I go, why? Just come up. I don't trust them for a second. When Jesus says, trust me, you're banking on thousands and thousands of times he's come through. And in all your whys, you'll see that maybe the best thing you can do is go, well, maybe the Lord has need of it. When you drop her off at college, she gives you a hug and runs the other direction. You get in the car and your wife is sobbing or you're sobbing. Maybe you whisper to yourself, the Lord has need of her. Use her, God, in big ways because I'm hurting without him. But maybe it's not a person. Maybe, maybe it's something you own. Maybe you look out in your backyard and you got all this grass that the Lord's provide you with. And you got a smoker right over here. You got a picnic table right over there. And you picture about 40 people who really need some encouragement in a very dark world. And go, you know what? I'm looking at my grass patio and I'm thinking the Lord has need of it. And you fill it up. Maybe you got a barn. And you know teenagers like to get together. You go, you know what? The Lord's got need of it. Maybe you got a car. Maybe you got just your time. And you say, you know what? think the Lord has need of my time. I'm going to go give it to someone else. But maybe there's something in your life where you feel it's been taken from you and you can't make sense of it. Could I encourage you to maybe allow the Holy Spirit to whisper into your heart, hey, hey, the Lord has need of it. I'm going to use it in massive, massive ways. What do I have? What do I think I have? And if it was taken from me, I might say, why? Now? What? Instead go, you know what? The Lord has need of it. Use it, God. If it be your will, bring it back to me. And if they're a loved one, you can guarantee that if they know Christ is their Savior. Have you ever decided to get in Jesus' triumph? Have you ever decided to get in the fragrance of the one who has beaten death so that you can always cry Hosanna even when the enemy thinks he got you? 
Heavenly Father, use your word and this trip through the end of Mark to inspire us and encourage us to follow you in triumphal procession. For you were going to your death, but you knew you were about to win the war. You were about to pull the sting of death out and flood it with hope that those who call on the name of the Lord are saved and will live forever. This earth is only temporary. And Jesus, you did so much more in your death than even your time on earth. But we're studying you and we're learning about you so that we can navigate those times in our life when you don't make sense. Those times in our life where your timing doesn't seem right to us or those times in our life where we're a little frustrated that you're doing it this way. You have an answer for all of those. And the answer is the same. Two words, trust me. And the mind who has stayed on him is in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Thank you, Jesus, for being trustworthy. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.